Good morning, Good News Church. My name is Matt. This is my wife, Sarah. Together, we are the Kunze family along with our two daughters. We've been members of Good News Church here since 2021, and um, we are part of the Stevens small group, the bald and the beautiful. And so we just wanted to share that with you guys and give you a little bit of an introduction as to who we are. If you are a guest, if this is your first time visiting with us, welcome. We're glad you're here. In the seat back in front of you, there is something called the Connect Card. And if you see that, you can fill that out. Put in as little or as much information as you would like, and you can put it in the little black boxes at the back of the auditorium when you leave. And that gives us the opportunity to follow up with you as a church. If you are not visiting or that you're not a guest, you may also want to fill out a Connect card because the announcements we're going to be showing you today have an opportunity to respond. So on the back, there are also some areas you may want to respond. So this is an important tool that you can use uh, this week. We have two Discover Good News classes coming up this month. Um, you can see the dates and times here on the slides. If you've been coming to Good News and you would like to make this your church home, um, this would be your next step. Um, so please register for the class by marking on your Connect card and um, put on there too what date you would like to attend. All right, five days from now is Good News Weekend. All right, so listen. This is camp for everybody, and this camp is awesome. We've been there before. It's going to be a fantastic weekend. If you have already signed up, please either uh, text the word CAMP2023 to that number there, and you will receive automatic updates on your phone about everything that's going on with camp. If you haven't registered yet, you should. This is going to be a great event, a fantastic speaker, awesome time together as a church. You can use that QR code there to register, and there's still plenty of spaces available. September on the 17th, we're going to be hosting here at Good News Financial Peace University. And Financial Peace University is a 10-week course that helps you create a plan to manage your money and just gives you a lot of tools to succeed in that area. So if you'd like to register for this class, please mark it on the Connect card and drop that off in the back. All right. Hello, fall. I don't know about you guys, but it got a little cooler last week before it got warm again. But we had that one or two days where it felt a little chilly. I put the flannel on today. We're, we're excited about it, okay? Listen, Hello Fall is coming October 29th. Okay, we have our awesome chili cook-off that we do every year. And we are still doing Trunk or Treat as well this year. So we're going to have a lot more information coming in the next few weeks about this event. But again, if you'd like to know more, if you're inter interested in signing up, please do so on your Connect card. I work for a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ, and a successful strategy that we use is called Christmas Gatherings. A Christmas Gathering is a, an event that you host in your home where you invite your neighbors and your friends. And this party is based around the Christmas season where a speaker is given the opportunity to share the gospel through um, sharing about the meaning, true meaning of Christmas. And as we know, we, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And we have seen thousands and thousands of people come to Christ through Christmas gatherings. And so we are inviting members of Good News um, to learn how to host or to speak at your own Christmas gathering in your own neighborhood. And so we're excited because this really goes along with the mission and vision that we've seen here at Good News. And we've been challenged um, as a church to uh, reach out and share the gospel with those that we you know, live with and work with and play with. And so this is going to give you a great opportunity to do that. We will um, have a training for speakers and hosts on Saturday morning, October 7th, 
and we are going to continue to give more information to you um, as the weeks go on. And so if you know that you might be interested in this um, and you want to step out in faith to reach your friends and neighbors with the good news of the gospel this season, fill out on the Connect card. Just put Christmas gatherings on there. We'll get in touch with you, um, and we'll get more information to you. Awesome. All right, at this time, I'd like to welcome up Strider and also Nick and Mary-Kate McClure and their family. Awesome. Thank you all so much. So we have uh, Nick, Mary-Kate, Nathan, and Reese McClure coming to join uh, Good News this morning, which is really, really exciting. We're going to get you right here in front. And uh, the rest of these folks back here, some of them are uh, in, in the same small group with them. Others have been just a part of their tribe and life for the past uh, few years. And um, man, this is really, this is... It's really, really fun. Sorry. Uh, Nick and I go way back uh, to uh, my days when I was the area director for Young Life, and, and he was a volunteer leader. Nick is an interpreter and works at the Florida School for the Deaf and Blind, and uh, Mary-Kate runs an art gallery downtown. She's in charge. She, she'll, she'll tell you that she's actually not, but she actually runs this. And so we're, we're, uh, we're really excited that you uh, are here at Good News and are coming to make Good News Church your home. And uh, in just a second, I'm going to read them uh, some vows. And uh, if you're a member here at Good News, what a great opportunity to listen to these vows. And as you watch and listen to them take theirs, what a great reminder for us to renew our vows as well. And so um, here we go. Uh, Nick and Mary Kate, do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his wrath and hopeless without his mercy? And do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you trust him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will seek to live as followers of Christ should? Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? And do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to promote its purity and peace? We are so excited to have you here at Good News. Let me, uh, let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you that you save us. Thank you that you place us in a church family and a body and you give us a home to belong to. And I pray for the McClures uh, that these boys would know you as Savior and Lord and follow you. And I pray for Nick and Mary-Kate as they raise them. Draw the McClures to yourself, Jesus. Uh, may they love you more and more, and what a privilege it is to be able to get to love you, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, I'm going to be the first to welcome y'all this morning, but I encourage you after the service is over to uh, to do the same. So we're so excited to have you here at Good News. Nate Dog, can I get a fist bump? boy. Reese, you got one for me too? boy. Thank y'all so much. Well, good morning, good news. Happy Lord's Day. My name is Logan. Um, I have the privilege of serving on staff here with our middle and high school student ministry. If you don't know me, that's, that's probably okay because my wife, my daughter, and I only moved here a little less than three months ago. So we're fairly new to the Good News family, but we're really, really excited to be here. And man, I, I got a picture up here of my wife and I. Uh, we don't have Ellie in this picture, but this is a picture that we took 
a little over a week ago, uh, we got to go on a date night, um, and so we went around downtown St. Augustine, kind of explored a little bit, and that's, so that was really fun to kind of do that for the first time. Um, this is only was our second date night since Ellie was born, and Ellie turns one in nine days. So it's been a long, long time since we've been able to go out of the house and be real human beings. Um, but man, the, I, I just bring that up because the first time that we went on a date night, it was this couple that we loved, that we really, really had a great relationship at our last church with. And man, not like a babysitter, but they they really wanted to just love us and bless us by allowing us to go on a date night and to watch our daughter. And so that was a blessing. That was awesome. And then this time, uh, an, another couple that we've become great friends with from the Good News Church family uh, really blessed us and allowed for us to go out and be humans uh, away from our daughter uh, for a night. And so that was awesome. And I say all that to say that it is good to be a part of the body. It is a good thing to be plugged in, to be known, and to know others in the church. Did you know that you're needed in the body of Christ? That you need the body, but the body needs you? You're important, you're valued, you're indispensable to the body. And man, it's a good thing to have your community and your family and your friends all be together in the body. And so we got to do that, and that was awesome. But hey, we're not here to talk about me. We're here to open up God's Word. If you have your Bibles, which I hope that you do, would you open with, with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2? 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 26 this morning. Yes, that is the same set of verses we looked at last week. And we're going to be looking at them again next week and the week after. Um, we're doing that and we're slowing down and kind of camping out in these verses because there's so much good stuff here. There's so many things that we can talk about. And so we just want to spend some time dig through them, investigate, and see what God would have to say for us through this text. Um, so we've, we've been learning in the book of 2 Timothy that what a disciple looks like, what a follower of Jesus looks like. Remember, he's a worker, he's like a farmer, he's like an athlete, you guys remember? And now we're going to be looking at what does the follower of Jesus love? What does the follower of Jesus love? A bit of context, I think, would be important and helpful if you're just now joining us, or maybe if you've forgotten, which, if we're honest, sometimes we forget. But the book of both 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy are letters written by the Apostle Paul to his disciple Timothy. The first letter he wrote from, like, house arrest, and now the second letter he's writing from an actual jail cell. He's in a more serious prison. He's chained. He's alone. And he knows that he's going to soon lose his life in martyrdom. He's going to be killed very soon. Most people believe that he was beheaded. So he's about to face a gruesome, horrible, scary death, and he's writing to his disciple, who he loves, to remind him, to encourage him, to call him to be all that God is calling him to be. Uh, he's, call, he's writing to him to tie up loose ends. I like to think of 2 Timothy as Paul's last will and testament, if you will. This is Paul just making sure that the work he has done in the church of Ephesus, which Paul started, that Timothy is now kind of a pastor over, he's wanting to make sure that what he started continues on. And so he's reminding him, hey, Timothy, focus on what's important. I want you to pay attention to my words, receive them, hear them, and do them. I want you to focus on what's important. 
Paul wants Timothy to know and to focus on what really matters as a disciple of Jesus. I want you to imagine with me if we were to do some imaginary poll of the general population and ask this question, what really matters? What would people say? If, we were, if we're going to ask people, that the general person, the person maybe that's outside the church, maybe there's some people who inside the church, but what do you think the typical person would say really matters? Maybe they would say family, maybe they would say friends, maybe they'd say having a fulfilling career, uh, maybe they would say the environment, uh, maybe you'd get like a really philosophical person trying to give a smart answer and they'd say, man, what really matters to me is giving more good than bad, or leaving the world better off than I found it, uh, something along those lines. What would you say? What would you say really matters? What would you say? Paul wants Timothy to know and to focus on what really matters as a disciple of Jesus Christ. What really matters as a disciple of Jesus Christ. The point of today's message is a follower of Jesus has three great loves. Three great loves. The follower of Jesus loves Jesus, he loves one another, and he loves the lost. Jesus, one another, and the lost. So, let's look at our text. 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 14. Remind them of these things. I'm going to do something that uh, has always kind of irritated me about a lot of preachers, but I'm going to pause right there. I know I read like four words, but I think it would be helpful to ask, who's them and who are these things? What are we talking about, right? He's talking about the people who we referenced first in 2 Timothy 2, chapter, or verse 2. Um the faithful witnesses, the men who will, be able, who will be able to teach others also. He's talking about the people of God. He's talking about the elect. He's talking about those who have received Christ as their Lord and Savior and those who live lives as Christians. He's talking about them. Remind those people of these things. What things? Um, I think that to get a running start here, we should jump back to verse 8. Verse 8. Paul writes to Timothy and says, Remember Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The churches in Ephesus, I think, are really a lot like how we can often be. They're dividing over small issues. They're fighting over things that aren't necessarily what really matters. Have you ever met somebody like that? Have you, have you ever been that way? Have you ever divided or fought or argued over something that might not really matter that much? This isn't even the first time that Paul has addressed this. Back in 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 4, Paul says this, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. He's speaking of false teachers who would twist and distort the gospel. They would add things to it, take away things from it. Uh, They would chase speculation and myths and care more about those things than what the Bible actually says. 
Don't we have that tendency? Don't we have that tendency to get hung up on small things and the things that really matter, we kind of we lose track of that? Don't we have the tendency to make what's not the main thing the main thing? We could agree with a person on 99% of things, and then that 1% seems like almost enough to take up arms with and fight them over. Man, I've seen friendships fall apart over small, insignificant things. We could be best friends, and then that 1% that we disagree on, oh, it can ruin everything. We can get so lost in the weeds on our differences in viewpoints in the Christian faith that we lose track of the gospel. We can lose track of the forest for the trees. You know, we can, we can miss the big picture focusing on things that don't have eternal significance. And Paul says, don't do this. <laughs> don't do that. Uh, don't get, obviously, don't get swept away by false teaching. We're supposed to stand firm against fa- false teaching. We're supposed to call out false teachers. We're supposed to separate ourselves from that, obviously. But he's also saying, don't get lost in the weeds on the differences of viewpoints so that you no longer see the gospel. He's not saying, I want, I want you to make sure you're hearing me. He's not saying, don't care about theology. He's not saying don't study doctrine. He's not saying don't have viewpoints. He's saying that we shouldn't fight on things that the Bible doesn't major on. There's a quote that's often attributed to St. Augustine. It says, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. How many of you guys have heard of that? Very, very famous quote. Cool. What does that mean? Uh, It means in the essentials, in the things that matter, in the main stuff, we have to have unity. What are the main things? I mean, the main thing is that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He came and he died and he rose again. We can't have differences on that. We must believe those essential things. We must stand firm on the gospel. We must have unity on the essentials. But it says in the non-essentials, we have liberty. What does that mean? Non-essential things, secondary issues, things that we might disagree on as Christian brothers and sisters, we have liberty to believe differently on. Things like the end times, how exactly all the stuff in the book of Revelation will play out is, is a non-essential. It is essential to know that Jesus will come back again, but it's not essential to know exactly how these pieces fit together. Um, on the issue of drinking alcohol. That's a secondary, non-essential issue. We can have differences of opinions on that and still be in community and in unity with each other in the essentials. Everybody, that makes sense? And then it says, in all things, charity. <laughs> that means that in our disagreements, in our agreements, in all things, we must be gentle, kind, hospitable people, charitable with one another, and realize that we've been saved to something, we've been saved from something, and that we are united on the essentials. We must be kind, hospitable, gentle people. That's who we're called to be. Paul says that these quarrels do us no good. They don't do us any good, so we shouldn't do them. Verse 15 says this, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Wouldn't you like to be a worker who pleases his master? Wouldn't you like to please God? 
Of course. What pleases God, though? What pleases God? Whatever that is should be our focus, right? If we seek to please God, whatever it is that pleases God should be what we are attempting to do, should be our focus. An approved worker, a skillful worker, is one who pleases God. This is someone who can rightly handle the word of truth. He studies the word of God correctly and rightly, knows what is essential, what is not essential, is able to distinguish between the two, is able to say that is what we stand firm on, that's what we have to have unity on, and maybe this thing over here is something that we could disagree on, and maybe arguing about this thing is simply distracting from the gospel. Maybe it's simply just distracting from the gospel. Right after Jesus' baptism, God the Father said this about him in Matthew 3.17. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We, as followers of Jesus, should love the things that God the Father loves. God, in this verse, God the Father loves God the Son. This is my beloved Son. And God the Father is pleased in the Son. And that means that if we are in Christ, God is pleased with us. So to answer the question, what pleases God? What pleases God the Father? It's Jesus. And if we are in Christ, we please God. Because God loves Jesus, we should love Jesus, and we should do what Jesus says. In John 8, 31 through 32, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Hmm. We're supposed to do what Jesus says to do. Supposed to do what the Bible teaches. We're supposed to love Jesus. We're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to love the lost. But, you know, what does the Bible have to say about our three great loves? Maybe that'd be a good place to start. Maybe I could convince you that the disciple of Jesus has three great loves from the Bible. Let's look at Matthew 22, 39 through, or 36 through 38. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. We're to love the Lord our God. We're to love Jesus with our heart, mind, and soul, right? But we're also to love one another. Where does the Bible say that? I'm glad you asked. It's right in the next two verses right after that. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That, that really encapsulates both one another and the lost, does it not? We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're supposed to love the Lord our God, and we're supposed to love others. But the others, that includes people in the church, who we would call our brothers and sisters, our one another, but that also includes those outside of the church, those who are lost, those who don't know Jesus yet. If you need further convincing that we're to love the lost, what better verse then John 3.16, if we're to love what God loves, man, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves the lost who would come to him. And so we should too. If we want to be 
followers of Jesus, we should love the things God loves. We should love God. We should love one another, and we should love the lost. So to answer that question from our fictional poll back at the beginning, what really matters? If we're followers of Jesus, if we're seeking to emulate Christ, if we want to be disciples of our Lord, what really matters to us are the things that really matter to God. They're the things that God loves. And it's these three great loves. Verses 16 through 18 in our text, in our passage we're in. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Paul gives Timothy even more reason not to focus on these minuscule, small details, not to get lost in the weeds on myths and speculations as it upsets the faith of some. Some people, tell me if you know somebody like this, and you know, maybe, this is, maybe this is you. Uh, at times, it's, it might have been me. Um, do you know anybody that seems to get more excited about the, the myths, and the, well, not the myths, but the mysteries and the things we don't quite understand in the book of Revelation, how the end times will unfold, what this means in our newspaper, and how that relates to this. Have you ever met somebody that gets so hung up on those things that it's like they'd rather talk about those things than the gospel? No doubt they're interesting to talk about and to think about and to read about, of course, but have you ever met somebody that's more excited about those things than they're really excited about the gospel? They're more excited about when and how these things will take place rather than the fact that we've been saved from those things and through those things and that we have a hope and a future beyond those things. Man. People would rather speculate about when the world will end over the fact that we've been saved to a hope and a future past the, be the end of the world. Hymenaeus and Philetus in Paul's day speculated that the resurrection of the dead, the, the final judgment, the, the second coming of Jesus already happened. It's so similar to the false teachings that lead so many people astray even today. So hung up on these secondary, non-essential things that we lose track of the forest for the trees. We get so lost in the weeds on differences of opinions and trying to believe the right things about minuscule details that we lose track of what's really important. Man, what's really important is that we love Jesus. What's really important is that we love one another. And what's really important is that we love the lost. We're supposed to love the things God loves. We're supposed to focus on what he says matters, and those are the things that he says matters. Don't lose track of the important things. We are to love Jesus. Verse 19 says this. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Man, false teachers might be able to trick other people into following them, but nobody tricks God. God is not tricked. God knows who belongs to him. God knows who, is, who are his through Jesus. 
All those who belong to him should depart from their sin. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Those who love Jesus should seek to distance themselves from their sin. What I really want you to hear, look at me, what I really want you to hear is that this is not a have to. It's not a have to. This is a get to. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord should depart from iniquity. They get to depart from iniquity. They get to turn away from their sins. Do you know that you were trapped in your sin before Jesus? (laughs) Did you know you had no ability to turn to him without him first choosing to come to you? Man, it's a privilege. It's an honor. We get to depart from iniquity because Jesus loves us. Did you know that? It's not a have to, it's a want to. John 14, 15 says this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now you could read that a couple different ways. You could read that as, hey, if you love me, you got to keep my commandments. (laughs) You will keep my commandments. Or you could read that as, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Of course you'll keep my commandments. Because you love me that you'll be able to keep my commandments. If you love me, all these things follow suit. Of course you'll keep my commandments. You'll want to keep my commandments. We'll want to depart from iniquity. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You'll do these things. Verses 20 and 21 in our text. Paul uses this illustration of a great house. He says, Now... In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. If we love Jesus, we'll want to keep his commandments, we'll want to cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable, we'll want to depart from iniquity, we'll want to separate ourselves from our sin, Distancing ourselves from our uh, sin will want to be useful, honorable vessels that are pleasing to our master. You know, Paul uses this. Um, Paul uses this example of a great house that has fancy diningware and, they, and it has this regular diningware. You know, in in our stage of life right now, with an almost one-year-old. Um, our, our, our typical dining ware are these fantastic um, plastic indestructible uh, from Walmart uh, dishwasher safe, microwave safe. These things are awesome. This, is, this isn't even an ad, but they're at Walmart for 50 cents a piece. They're incredible. But if we were going to have guests over, if we were going to break out the fine china, I'm just, well, we actually, we don't, ha- we, no, uh, we don't really even have, like, we would probably eat off of the same plates, but actually, we'd probably just go out to eat and do dishes all another day, and, but what, the point of what Paul is saying in this is that there is a difference between an honorable, useful vessel, somebody who is a, uh, is a worker for the Lord, somebody who departs from iniquity, Somebody who's a skillful worker, a useful vessel, 
who's pleasing to the master versus somebody who's a dishonorable vessel. Gold and silver, plates and cups and silverware. Or clay and earthenware, clay and wood. Wouldn't you want to be the type of vessel where, where Jesus goes, look at my vessel. I'm so proud of this vessel. Wouldn't you want to be the type of honorable, useful vessel where you get pulled out of the, the, the cupboard and you're, you're set before guests and Jesus is glad and proud to display you, that you are honorable, that you are useful to him. Wouldn't you want to be a useful vessel? Would you want to be the vessel, the, the cups and the bowls and the plates left in the cupboard, you know, the ones that you might be ashamed of? Wouldn't you want to be a useful, pleasing vessel to the Lord? Don't you love Jesus? Don't you want to please your master? Don't you want to be set apart and useful to him? Mm. Let's read the last uh, of this chapter. The, the, the next few verses talk all about what it would look like if we would seek to be useful vessels, if we would seek to depart from our iniquity, if we would seek to be pleasing and useful to God. Let's read it, 22 through 26. So, flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind or charitable to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Did you catch what Paul said in those last two verses? We're called to be gentle with people. We're called to be faithful to preaching the gospel, to telling others about Jesus. But it is not up to us to save people. God saves people. God saves his people. We don't. It's not on you and I to save people. What, what is on us is to preach the gospel faithfully, to be the hands and feet of Jesus here on earth, to do what he's called us to do. But in the end of the day, if people come to faith in him or not, it's not on how well we can deliver the gospel message. It's not on how articulate and how uh, good we are with rhetoric and how, how able we are to answer their questions and debunk their uh, problems that they may have. It's not on us to save people. Man, that's so comforting to me. Can you imagine if it was on you or I to save people? Well, we'd have to be very, very studied up. We'd have to be very, very, very uh, good. <laughs> it would be based on our goodness and ability that people would come to Christ. And thank goodness that it's not. Praise the Lord that it's not on you or I to save people. But God saves people. It said there in that verse, uh, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. God saves people, and that's so comforting that it's not you or I. 
The truth is, the only reason that anybody would ever come to faith in Jesus Christ is because they've been loved by Jesus first. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 John 4.19. So simple, so profound, so impactful for our lives. It says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. We even have the capacity for love, the ability for love, to love, to love Jesus, to love one another, and to love the lost because he loved us. Can you imagine such a thing? Can you imagine that you've been loved first and now you get to love? Gosh. Well, that's the heart of the gospel. The gospel being that we, who were once at odds with God, at enmity with God, we were enemies of God, are now children, are sons and daughters of God. Man, that took God's initiative to love us so that we could love him. In Romans 5, 8, says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And while we were haters of God, while we wanted nothing to do with him, in our natural state of sin, we don't want to please God. We don't want to love God. We want to love ourselves. We love our sin. In our natural state, we want to do what we want to do. We want to be the Lord of our life. But God shows his love for us in that while we were depraved, dead, while we hated God, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. What kind of a love is that? What kind of a love that we just don't deserve at all? We love because God first loved us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. But how bad were we? Right? To understand the beauty and the, the fullness of the gospel, we must understand how bad the bad news is. I fear that oftentimes people don't really grasp how bad and debilitating the bad news is. In Romans chapter 3, Paul wrote this. He's quoting the Old Testament from the Psalms. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. <laughs> have you ever heard somebody say, well, I'm a good person? Maybe we, we ourselves think that we're good people, but the truth of the matter is, is that before Christ, we weren't. <laughs> you weren't good. I wasn't good. We were evil. We hated the things of God, and we loved our sin. We were so broken. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one even seeks God. That's how dead and depraved we are. That's how deep our sin goes. But even further than that, in Ephesians chapter 2, oh, and you were dead in the trespasses. And what, what does dead mean there? What do you think dead means? Dead means dead. <laughs> you were dead in your trespasses and sins. No hope, no life, no ability to save yourself. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, that is now 
uh, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Can you imagine? We were dead. We wanted nothing to do with God. We're not righteous. We're not seeking God. We hate the things of God. We love us. We love our sin. We love to do the things that pleases our flesh. We all once walked in this course, following Satan. And he's now still at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh. We did what we want to do. We carried out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were, by nature, not children of God, but we were children of his wrath, rightly deserving punishment for our sins. Gosh, but it goes on. Verse 4. Mm. <laughs> this set of five verses is so beautiful. It, it paints how broken and how dead and desolate we are, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. <laughs> we get to love because we've been first loved. We who would have never loved God on our own would have never chosen to be his friends. <laughs> we would have never desired to leave our comfortable bubble of doing what we wanted to do, ever. We didn't seek God, but because he first loved us, he chose us and brought us into relationship with himself. And now, now we've been made alive together with Christ. We've been made so we can love Jesus. We've been made so we can be in relationship with God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that somebody who didn't want to be in relationship with God now can be in relationship with God? Somebody who is dead in their sins and trespasses now can be made alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And that's the gospel. I think that that's an essential thing that we hear every week. Our church does a wonderful job of always preaching the good news of the gospel. Always painting the picture of how broken we were, what the bad news is, and then the good news of the gospel that we've been saved. But then there's our part in it. If you've trusted Christ with your life and you're saved and you now have an ability to love him, awesome. That's awesome. That's everything. And it's great to be reminded and to think on the gospel. That's what Paul was telling Timothy. He said to remind them of these things. Okay? It's good to know, to preach the gospel to yourself, to hear it, to receive it. And this story of God saving the world is something we can't wait to get to heaven and hear on repeat. We'll be sitting at the feet of Jesus. Tell us the story again. Tell us the story about how you saved me. Man, we can never grow tired of hearing the gospel, but if you have never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can do that. It's so easy. God could have made it any way he wanted for somebody to accept him and to be saved. God could have made it difficult. God could have made it that we would have had to keep all these rules. He didn't. He made it so explicitly easy for somebody to come to faith in Christ. It's as easy as A, B, C, that we admit that we are broken. We admit that we are sinners. We believe that Jesus is Lord. And we commit our hearts and our lives to him. 
Romans 10.9 says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's so easy. You, who were once enemies of God, me, wanted nothing to do with God, and now have been brought into his fold, have been able now to receive him, to trust him, to love him. Isn't that incredible? If you've never done that before, as I pray, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that at the end. Man, won't you do that? Won't you trust Christ with your life? Won't you go from being an enemy of God to being his child? Won't you go from never being able to love him, never being able to please him, never even wanting to do those things to being the kind of person that Jesus says, look at my vessel. Don't you want to be that person? Our action step today is simple. Very, very, very simple. Love Jesus. <laughs> I hope that you see that there's, there's more to it than just, the, just two words. It's not just some easy, simple thing. But when you think, man, I get to love Jesus. I get to love Jesus. Our attitude toward loving Jesus shouldn't be like a chore. Shouldn't be some debilitating, arduous task that weighs us down. Man, it should be, I get to love Jesus. Can you believe it? I get to love Jesus. <laughs> That's what our uh, attitude towards getting to love Jesus should be. What would it look like what would it look like if as a follower of Jesus, you approached your relationship with Jesus as a get-to? He called me to keep his commandments, and I get to. He called me to distance myself from sin, and I get to. I get to do these things because he loved me, and now I get to love him. Can you imagine? What would you throw out? What would you get rid of in your life? What things are holding you back from fully following God? Man, you get to do it. You get to get rid of them. You get to leave that sin behind. You get to throw away those behaviors. You get to find different friends. You get to change. You get to love Jesus. What would you do to change? I get to be a skillful worker. I get to be a useful vessel. I get to be a winsome witness. I get to because Jesus loved me. How would your life change if you believed that? How would your life change if you really, really believed that? Man, that's been my prayer this week. Jesus, help me to see that this life I get to live as a Christian, this life I get to live as a follower of you, is a get-to. Man, our gratitude towards God for letting us love Jesus should launch us into deeper devotion to him, should launch us into throwing away our sin, should launch us into loving him. Aren't you thankful that you get to love Jesus? Won't you love Jesus today? We get to love Jesus. Who in your life needs to know that? Right? I need to know that. You need to know that, obviously. Who can you tell that they are loved by Jesus and now they get to love Jesus? Who needs to know that beautiful Beautiful, explicitly simple, but beautiful truth. Who can you tell? 
Who can you tell that following Jesus means we love Jesus and that this isn't a burdensome task, but this is the opportunity of a lifetime. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm able to live for you and love you. Who can you tell? Who needs to know that they are loved by Jesus and they get to love him back? The follower of Jesus loves Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you that we who are at enmity with you, Lord, who hated you, have been given a way to be reunited with you, to be in relationship with you through your son. God, you sent your son to die on the cross. You sent him to live a perfect life, the life that we couldn't live, and to die the death that we deserve for our sin. And to be raised from the dead so that we might be in relationship with you. Thank you. Us. (laughs) God, thank you that me, that all of us here, Lord, who have trusted you, have been saved to be able to love you. God, if there's anybody in in this room that hasn't trusted in you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would do that now. They would admit that, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm broken I have no hope. I'm dead in my sins. And then they would, they would believe that you have set them free from that, Lord, that you have set them free to life eternal. By the blood of Jesus and his raising again on the third day, Lord, we can be made new. We can be made alive with Christ. And Lord, they would commit to follow you. They would say, I get to love Jesus. What an honor. What a privilege. They would confess that you were their Lord. They would commit their hearts and their minds and they would exist to please you. Thank you that we can exist to please you, Lord. We love you so much and it's because you first loved us. Amen.